Is there any resistance uh, coming from East Germany? Resistance to... From homosexuals on the ground, from gay Ah, men on the ground. Yeah, actually there is. Um, So there's one guy, a sexologist called Rudolf Klimmer, who um, is sort of oftentimes called like the Magnus Hirschfeld of East Germany. uh, And he sort of remains active and really pushes for the repeal of paragraph 175. Um, But at the same time, he is being censored a lot of what he writes winds up being published in West Germany instead of East Germany. Um, and his sort of efforts to get the law repealed don't really go anywhere, uh, at least in the first couple decades. So, so there is pushback. But again, we don't have excellent statistics for the numbers of prosecutions. But there's there's three years where we do have those numbers, uh, 1957 to 1959, and when we compare them to East Germ or to West Germany, uh, West Germany for the same years has five times more uh, convictions per capita under paragraph 175 than East Germany. So it's just you know it, it's sort of apples and oranges. Um, most gay men in East Germany are, as far as I'm able to tell, you know, able to sort of go about their sexual lives in private and not sort of face harassment from from the police or from government authorities. Again, if it's sort of if you're a gay party member or a gay member of the secret police, then you might have trouble. There is like an explicit directive that members of the security services can't be gay. If they're discovered to be gay, they'll be kicked out. But even in those cases, there's one really striking case I found of a guy who's in the Stasi uh, in, I believe, Dresden, which is one of the other large cities in East Germany. And he, basically what happens is, is he seems to be gay or bi, and oftentimes will sort of hook up with men when he's drunk. And he takes his co-worker, he and his co-worker in the Stasi are out drinking. He takes him home with him. The co-worker passes out. Uh, from the alcohol, and this guy rapes him. And the co-worker then goes and complains to their superiors, and the superiors don't really do anything. I think they let the guy go. They say, okay, well, you can't be in the Stasi anymore, but nothing else is going to happen. Uh, but then this co-worker, the one who's raped, the victim, starts going in public and complaining about this and telling people about this. And he is actually in front of like a small crowd outside somewhere public and is sort of saying, oh, there's no law here. The party is protecting, you know, sodomites and and rapists. And the security services arrest him. They sentence him to a lengthy prison sentence um, for basically um, sort of sedition. Uh, And then only at that point do they arrest the original guy who who had raped him, and uh, they you know sort of sentence him to a, a few months in prison, basically a, a shorter se- se- uh, sentence than his victim gets. And 
basically they explicitly say, you know, we're only doing this because what you've done has endangered the public's trust in the Stasi, in the security services. But there's still like, don't worry, once you get out of prison, you can be rehabilitated and live like a successful life as a socialist citizen. So it really is only when there's sort of a political component that they're really going after these cases. Does the FRG make anything of homosexuality in East Germany or does Western propaganda more broadly? Yes. Um, in a lot of that conservative propaganda that we talked about in West Germany, you definitely have sort of mentions of the fact that homosexuality is more tolerated, if that's the right word, in East Germany, and that this is sort of evidence that it is part of a sort of communist conspiracy to, I don't know, undermine democracy and capitalism in West Germany. Yeah, no, it... it I think it, what's interesting is you see both sides sort of adopting an interpretation of homosexuality that both fits their own domestic political needs, but also fits their sort of international geopolitical needs. 